are you? I'm all right. What's your name? I'm Paddy. Ah, what a surprise. <laughs> of all of the names it could be. Paddy, come in. Welcome well, to the Well, my name's not really Paddy. Oh, my name's really... Brian. It's just what my mates called me um, down the pub. Okay, exactly. Brian, come in. You've come into the Science Shed. Right. Science Shed, if you don't know, is a, it's a science podcast that comes out every two weeks. Well, what the hell is that about, then? Well, it's me and my colleague of mine, right. uh, Nick Evans. He's an engineer, a bioengineer from the University of Southampton. Right. And I'm Steve Lee. I'm a chemist from the University of Cambridge. And we just have a little bit of a chat about sciencey things we find interesting. Well, that sounds absolutely grand. It's a real crack. Great. <laughs> Would you like to listen? Oh, be Jesus! Science shed. We're in the science shed. Science shed. We're in the science shed. Come on, Steve. Bunsen. Burner. Dolly. Machine. Internal. Combustion. Why do we need? Science. Nick. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How's uh enjoying the rain? Uh no. Well, it's it's a pretty miserable day for the middle of British summertime, isn't it? Well, it's it's changeable weather. It keeps bracing. Keeps you on your toes. I hate the word changeable. It doesn't mean it just means uh, yeah, it's raining. It means shit. That's what that's what changeable means. <laughs> no, but it's no one ever goes, Oh, south of France, the weather's changeable. <laughs> That's because it isn't really changeable in the South Pass. In Britain, it's changeable because sometimes it pisses with rain. Yeah. Other times, it's beautifully sunny. And you appreciate the sunshine more. It's like you How? need the where's pain this, to experience the pleasure. Where's this optimistic Nick come from? <laughs> Is it because we're in your new house, I'm Nick? quite heavily sedated at the moment, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it might be because we're in the new house. Yeah, so um, for those of you listening, we're podcasting today from my new house in Salisbury. I've moved out of Southampton. I've moved to the cathedral city of Salisbury. You've, it's, it seems a little bit more like a grown-up's house here, Nick. Normally, like your last house was a bit, you used to call it your, your hovel, didn't you? It was a bit dishevelled, a little bit like you, but this looks quite nice. It is. Yeah, yeah. no, it is rather nice. I'm quite enjoying it. We, we're trying to um, sort of do the DIY, and I, it, it's not the most fun experience. No? You're not no, enjoying the DIY? Like, I know you like DIY, too. I really enjoy the DIY, yeah. Oh, God, I hate DIY. What's wrong oh with it? Why Lord. don't you like it? It's just a, a, a way of spending time which is not as pleasurable as other ways of spending time. <laughs> don't you enjoy, like, you start off with something, and then you get to, like, do something, and then at the end of it, the wall's a different colour, or you've built some shelves or something. You feel like you've achieved. It just always involves frustration. Like, the other day, I was trying to paint. Maria persuaded me to paint in the hall. Yeah. I didn't think it needed painting, but apparently needed painting. <laughs> so I, we were, I was painting the wall, and I put all this white paint in, like, a little tray. Would you walk into what, you know, like, on, like, the kind of creepy films, and you walk into, like, an a, like abandoned hospital? Even there, you'd be like, yeah, it looks fine. It's no problem here. Probably, yeah. <laughs> like all the paint peeling from the walls, and, yeah. Anyway, I was trying to paint, and I had this tray of paint, and it was on top of a stepladder. And I just thought, well, I'll move the stepladder just slightly. Yeah. Because to get to that bit over there... So I picked the stepladder up, moved it. It caught on the edge of something. Oh, Nick. And the whole tray of white paint tumbled onto the carpet in the hall. Oh, my God. And did I've it, did it go so in angry. slow motion? Were you like, no? A little bit. And then afterwards, I was spell. like, <laughs> It's kind of like that. I right. wasn't very impressed. So you, so you now have a kind of magnolia carpet, do you? Is yeah, that... we put a rug over it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get on and talk some science, Steve? Okay, let's do it. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, good man. Good, good, good man. Good like um, I wanted to talk to you about some chemistry. I don't know how much you like it. Yeah. Um, calcium hydride. What do you know about calcium hydride? 
Mm, CAH2. CAH2, perfect. Yeah. So why is uh, that why know. is that unusual? Um calcium hydride. Is it because let me so okay, this is my GCSE chemistry. Yeah. Calcium is a alkaline earth yep. metal. Yeah. It has a valence of two, which yep. is the reason I knew it it would have two hydrogens with it. Um, usually forms ionic compounds. Okay, is this an example you're, you're of going, a covalent? No, comp- you're going, going the right way, though. So what's the charge on, on calcium? On calcium, two. Yeah, two. Positive or negative? Positive. Yeah, and so what So what would that mean to the... the, the oh, right. Crikey. Ah. So normally oh, my goodness. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Ooh. <laughs> so usually... So, so the hydrogen would have to give an electron somehow. Yeah. So normally we think about hydrogen as being a kind of proton, as a, a proton donor. In fact, that's how we define an acid. As a so proton I think we donor. better tell people a bit, a bit more. So mm. usually, because people out there are not going to be chemists. Sure. Okay. So, so calcium for the moment has a charge of plus two. And, norm- and so, and so normally, you know, for something to kind of cancel out that, that charge of plus two, you need two negative um, uh, uh, charges. So just as an example, right, salt that you yeah. put on your food, Ta- sodium salt. chloride. So usually what happens is... Um, sodium would normally, when it's bound to calcium, the calcium has a negative charge. It's got an extra electron, and the sodium's kind of missing an electron. Yeah. So it's Na plus because it's positive, yeah. and the Cl is minus. Yeah. So when they come together and form salt, it cancels out. It's so it's neutral. Exactly. So stuff likes to be neutral. Yeah, exactly. So that's why salt is a quite a stable compound. So the reason that calcium hydride freaked me out is yeah. because usually. Ca is two plus and hydrogen is plus. So if you've got two H plus and a Ca two plus, you end up with four plus, which is crazy yeah. unstable. So that's not what happens. So how does it cancel so out? So hydride is an H minus, right? So it has right. the opposite. Uh, you can swing both ways. So it's got two. Yeah. So the hydrogen it's got an extra electron. Usually hydrogen has an one proton, one electron. Yeah. So in this case, each hydrogen has two electrons. So. Hydrides are really interesting in chemistry because they're very reactive. Right. So, so what happens? It likes to do so. Calcium hydride, um, people use it as a desiccant to dry stuff out. It reacts very violently with water, right, and produces uh, calcium um, uh, hydroxide or called right. slaked lime, and uh, and and hydrogen, right. Yeah. But it's got two really cool applications: calcium hydride, right. And I wanted to tell you about them. Can you drink it? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Because um, if you drank it, what would happen is you, all of the water in your... Turn into sodium hydroxide. W- well, it would turn into calcium, hydro- uh, calcium hydroxide and hydrogen gas. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you'd explode and you'd dissolve. Exactly. You'd kind of get... Yeah. yeah. But they used it... So because it reacts really strongly with water, there are two applications of it. So back in the 70s, the US Air Force uh, looked investigating calcium hydride as a way of... Um, disper- if you disperse calcium hydride in the air near a cloud... Oh, right, okay, so it's a seeding of clouds. No, the opposite. Okay, so if you put calcium hydride near a cloud, the calcium would react with the water to form hydrogen gas and calcium hydroxide. But you, so the water would disappear. disappear. Right. Oh my God, so turn the hydrogen though. It's like fine, but it's in the air. So, this, so what they were doing is that they, the way they would want to use it is they want to use it near, um, uh, what do they call them, the uh, um, aircraft carriers. So, so when you're trying to land a plane, a multi-million dollar plane on that runway in the middle of the thing, and say it's foggy, 
Right. What you want to be able to do is disperse the fog. Somehow. Right, right. So does it work? It does. Well, it does work, but the trouble is you have to use a lot of it, and then right. the wind just blows in some more fog. Oh, right, right yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so they used it for that, and it does work. And then there's a really cool application of it. So, so this is unconfirmed. I've been looking. I've been. This is completely <laughs> apocryphal. So, so where did you hear this? So, this the, so, the, so the calcium hydride stuff I found. There's research on that, right? But, right, there is, right, but there's a kind of unconfirmed story I've written in a, bu- in a book. Right? You read it on the internet? No, I didn't read it. In the, I read it. I read it in a uh, in an autobiography of David Bowie, right? Uh, sorry, not autobiography. A biography of David Bowie. Right. So in the in the seventies, he allegedly used some calcium hydride to stop it raining at an outdoor performance. How, mu- how much of a rock god manoeuvre <laughs> is that? That someone flew across, dropped a load of calcium hydride in the sun, and the, and the clouds parted for oh the sun my to come goodness. shining down was that him the, to sing you Spaceman. Was that the memories of a free festival that he, uh, he wrote about on his first <laughs> album? <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> well, I it's, don't remember the, it. Like, it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, so, so it's really the kind of chemistry of this hydride atom, this ability to have this H-, minus, which makes it super reactive. Yeah, I think that's bollocks, that story about that's, David that Bowie. Might, that might be true. Um, the other thing that is true is that the Germans used it in the Second World War. They probably did War. some really horrible stuff. No, they, they used it in, um, uh, in it's, it's, they called it uh, bold, which was used as a German sonar, a sonar decoy. Not a washing powder. No, it's some reference to some imp in, in German. Right. Um, so what they did is they took like a big pot of, of calcium hydride and they released it from the U-boat, right? So when your U-boat captain's trying to hide away, uh, the Nazis are trying to escape the Allies. You pop out this little thing, it starts producing loads of hydrogen because there's loads of seawater. And what that does is all those bubbles confuse the sonar. Right. So when people are trying to find the submarine, they, they waz out a couple of these into the into the sea. Um, and these were used for quite uniformly all the way through. It was actually used in the Battle of um, the Battle of the Atlantic um, to kind of confuse um, uh, confused submarines. That is insane. Nuts, isn't it? Yeah, little that's cool though, man. Hydride. You'd think you'd be able to make bubbles with something a bit more simply though, wouldn't you? <laughs> well... Like just like a sort of oxygen tank. No, but you need more. You need a lot of bubbles. Right. A lot of a bubbles. Lot of bubbles. <laughs> and actually, you don't want how many bubbles? More a than lot seven. Of bubbles. More than seven. More than seven bubbles. Um, and you you don't want to use up your oxygen, so you yeah. want something that produces you know you, that could produce oxygen, but yeah, you just yeah. want something that produces gas. And calcium hydride is relatively inert. You can store it. You know, um, it's inert if you store it correctly. It's not going to blow up or something. Um, like if you store TNT in your um on your on your um. Mm. On your submarine, so there you go. Great, calcium hydride. Oh, calcium hydride. I'll buy some of that. So, Steve, Nick, someone wrote in to uh, Facebook. They did. Um, uh, uh, science shed. We've got a science shed Facebook page. We do, which you can find if you're on Facebook by just searching for the science shed, all one word in Facebook. If you want to communicate us with it, like like us there. Um, someone wrote us a message. They did. And they were like, kind of... It's quite a long message. It was a very long message. And they were expressing their surprise. Well, partially they were expressing their surprise at, you know, the fact that when you do science, it's not really about sitting and doing science <laughs> or working. It's mainly about all of the shit that comes with it. Yeah. And which you were... Repl- which we moan about. And one of the questions was, you know, someone said, well, you, it doesn't sound like you're living in an ivory tower. How hard do you work? And you replied, Steve, and said, you work a minimum 60-hour week. I didn't say minimum, but I said I'd probably about an average 60-hour week. Yeah, yeah which doesn't like surprise me. And you also said, this is why I'm working at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, that, that's which when I, I was replied. quite disturbed by that. What yeah. were you, why were you up at 5 a.m.? I'm trying to finish a paper, but yeah. But 5 a.m. on I was, a Saturday I was up morning. anyway. Yeah. Well, up doing what? Just woke up. You just come back from the lap dancing I club. I don't sleep much, do I? So. <laughs> You like Margaret Thatcher, pretty much. Your she eyes was a are get, too, and your eyes are getting more psychotic by the day. 
Poor anyway. people. Poor people need to be pulled up <laughs> by the quality of the rich. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. I was just um, politics is not a place for in the science shed. So, um, so is do, I was I was looking back through I, I like um, Victorian scientists. Right. We're also notably you're a big fan of the Victorian scientists, the gentleman scientists. Yeah, well, they're always quite interesting people. Yeah, and there's an example here of um, a Victorian scholar, a yeah. guy called Reverend uh, J. G. Wood. So he was a Victorian scholar, he was a geologist actually. Right. So that ties it also to that comment. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he, he, it, it says was good, by the way. So we, we should just say it was, it was good to see people engaging with us. Yeah. We're happy to do that. More. Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it reminded me of he, he reminded me of you, Steve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it says here when you were making that comment, it says yeah. his pattern of work was simply astonishing. He was always at his desk by half past four to five o'clock in the morning, all seasons of the year, lighting his own fire in the winter and then writing steadily until 8am. Then, in all weathers, he would start off for a sharp run of three miles over a stretch of particularly hilly country, <laughs> winding up with a tolerably steep ascent of nearly a quarter of a mile and priding himself on completing the distance from start to finish without stopping or even slackening his poise. Then came a cold bath followed by breakfast. <laughs> well, that's a productive morning. I like that. And so the day went on. Fully 12 hours out of the 24, we are told, were spent with Pen in hand, recreation being reduced to a minimum and indeed almost a vanishing point. With all this, it is perhaps not surprising that throughout his life he suffered greatly from dyspepsia. <laughs> What's dyspepsia? <laughs> Indigestion, I think. All oh, right. Um, yeah, well... Well, I don't I know. Like I mean, they, they were kind of like these Victorian scientists. They were always a bit... Um, you know, they were masochists, basically. Well, I think, you know, there's we've spoken about this before. I don't want to kind of bring it up again. But I think there's there's a certain that kind of blur between your kind of passion and your, you know, vocation is is more blurred in academia than it would be in, in other roles. How, I, how, I, how much effort would you go to to go to, like, a let's say a conference or a, an exhibition of something which was of dear importance to your work? Well, I've actually I'm doing that. I've been asked to go to a bunch of conferences. That I, well, my initial goal was to take a lot of August off from it because I haven't had a two weeks off in a single stretch since I was at school. You need to be out. more strict with yourself. At least I've managed to get you off for one week because yeah. I know because we're spending but, it together. But anyway, yeah, I've I've, I've got already just is that your only out week? Out the window is that your only week? No, I've got another off? week off. But like I've wasted out the window because I got asked to speak at two different conferences and that was the only time and it's a good opportunity. Yeah, so. uh, that sounds like a good. If you get asked to speak at a conference. Yeah, but that's the point. So you're, you're asking, so, you know, like there's there's something whereby like it would make more sense, uh, you know, like maybe I shouldn't do that. And, you know, you need time to recuperate and all that. But you get uh, you get placed with a with an opportunity. So you want to capitalize on that. You want to do you do the best job as you can. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So I was wondering, like uh, going back to the question about yeah. how far you go. So you'd go a long way, I think, wouldn't you? To get to, let's say, let's say that it was. Uh, some kind of exhibition on the history of single molecule yeah. spectroscopy with with every oh, totally example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh god. Okay. So there's an oh, example. I'm just so happy thinking about that. <laughs> there's an example second. here for ge another geologist. Right. But you know, sorry, he was um, he was interested in bird life, geology, okay. and natural history in general. Because a lot yeah. of these people they, they merged together, didn't it? The yeah. yeah there was, we didn't really have the disciplines that we have today. Anyway, he was called um, uh, William um, McGillivray. Yeah. So he was professor of natural history at the University of Aberdeen. Anyway, at the age of 20... He was where? He was the uh, professor of natural history at the University of Aberdeen. Aberdeen, okay. Aberdeen. Good. Anyway, there was an exhibition in London yeah. on... Um, uh, it was a, a, a bird collection. The Great Bird Collection and what was to become the Natural History Museum. Yeah. Anyway, he lived in the north of Scotland. 
So he decided, because he wanted to get to this, he had not very much money, he would walk there from northern Scotland, 800 miles. <laughs> so he rode. That is, that is a good effort. He started off on the 7th of September, 1819, having risen at half four in the morning, breakfast around five. He carried a penknife, an ink piece with pens, a small itinerary of Scotland, a glass for drinking, and a trowel. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. He walked 800 he miles. He took 10 pounds. This was in, what, 1819? In, in 10 pounds money. Anyway, he wrote, he, he, walked, he walked 500 miles for 30 days. Yeah. And then he, he got through half his money in that time. Anyway, he got south of the border. F- Fiver in 400 days. That's pretty good. He got south of the border yeah. and then realised no one would accept his Scottish money. Right. <laughs> so he slept under hedges, among heather, in barns. By Manchester... My trousers are ragged, plastered with mire. My shoes are nearly worn What's down. Mire? And my stockings are fairly finished. <laughs> mire? I think it's just dirt and detritus. Amazing. By Northampton, his funds were down to one and three half pence. So then he gave up on breakfast. By St Albans, he was being obliged to sit for a time every two or three miles to ease the appalling soreness of his feet. <laughs> he entered London on the 20th of October, six weeks after starting out. And then he duly inspected the British Museum. Amazing. <laughs> he was there a week just to look at the science. He just went. He just walked to, 800 miles to, have a look at the to look at a bird exhibition in a museum. That <laughs> is a good effort. In the club. This bit, and that's the bit that makes it glow blue. Oh, sorry, I can't do the fiddy voice. Nick, yeah, what do you know about catalysis? Um, so a catalyst, yeah, is something that alters the rate of a chemical reaction, usually speeds it up, and itself remains chemically unaltered during the process. That is a textbook definition <laughs> that is very good, but is actually kind of not really used um, today. Um, <laughs> That's what I was taught at school. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's oh true. So, so that is that you can use stuff to be able to do a chemical reaction um, and it regenerate, and you can use it again and again and again. So, so there's a lot of, there's a huge amount of research in, in chem- chemistry of people using trying to develop new catalysts to make plastics or to make drugs more efficiently. And I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine during my PhD. Yeah. So a friend of mine was, so, so the way that you do a lot of carbon-carbon bond making, so when you're trying to build uh, molecules um, uh, for drugs and things, is you use uh, palladium. Palladium's a really good catalyst at sticking one carbon atom to another one. Yeah. So when someone comes to you and says, right, well, we've isolated this, this um, uh, compound from a, hyacinth in you know outer mongolia um and what we want to do is we want to make and we've got super anti-cancer properties or something so yeah, first yeah, of all yeah. you work out the structure yeah and then you give it to an organic chemist and say make it and oh that, so, so you that, that, so it's you find it in a plant yeah you can't make it from the plant without you can't money you, you, exactly well, you might need a lot of but you think mo- well it'd be easier to make it using by using a chemist yeah exactly so something so for instance all a lot of you know when you go into boots and you buy like i don't know ibuprofen and it's like 25p 
that is all made from bottles of chemicals or you know or like aspirin for instance so even though that's originally isolated from a tree the way you get it from is you you, you get an organic chemist to make it yeah and so that's called kind of natural product synthesis it's like a whole wing of, of chemistry yeah and that's really important because if you find so actually a good example is something like cocaine right so cocaine there is a natural product synthesis for cocaine um it's just that um you, you it's just that it's very complicated and expensive and actually it's much better just to grow the leaves so so this is why you don't see like meth labs you know meth labs uh, when people are making making that's you know get that's organic chemistry in like breaking bad so you things. can make you can make um crystal meth much methamphetamine easier. quite easily than cocaine where exactly cocaine it's just simpler you you can't have a guy in a caravan in america no who used to be a teacher exactly making cocaine he'd have to actually grow you, the cocaine you can, plant. it's just really hard and it's yeah. much easier just to grow the coke plant. anyway so that's why you don't see coke labs exactly okay. but you do see meth labs you so, know when i was in america yeah. i wasn't allowed to buy um pseudo fed ones yeah. i had to give you my address and you're only allowed to buy 12 tablets because it's used as a base ingredient for making yeah, yeah, methamphetamine yeah. The thylamine i think it's in there. Mm. um Anyway, um, yeah, so a friend of mine, that was his PhD. His job was he was trying to make catalysts to do better carbon-carbon bond formation so we can hopefully bet, make drugs faster and easier and that kind of thing. And normally we use palladium, and palladium's really expensive, right? Um, palladium? Yeah. Mm. Um, so he was trying to do it with copper. So his, goal, his PhD was to use copper, which has a much lower uh, catalytic efficiency, but he was trying to kind of tweak it and play with it a bit in a way that would allow him to be able to try and make some kind of uh, some uh, ability to catalyze this carbon-carbon bond formation. So he's what, were they, what were they making again here? Just remind me. Uh, so he's making copper uh, catalysts. To, to make to, what? To make carbon-carbon bonds. To In what? Of, well, for whatever, lots you, of, whatever lots you wanted okay. to. So, right. so typically we use palladium, very expensive, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, if so, you want to make drugs cheaper or to make or to, to be able to make more complicated so molecules. It could apply to lots of different things. Any, but, I mean, predominantly the big use is for the pharmaceutical industry. It's, yeah. it's just how to do, how to, uh, it's like building a, how to make carbon-carbon bonds is like, you know, is like giving uh, a, a mechanic another spanner yeah. or another screwdriver. Yeah. Right, it's a whole new way of doing yeah. it. So he's making, so, so first year of his PhD, He's trying it out, trying gets, gets it to work. Super excited, comes in, comes into that, went down the pub that day. He's like, I can't believe it. I've made copper, make the, didn't do it very well, tiny amount, but it worked. And it worked, and, laid, and he, made it, he made this carbon-carbon bond. He's very excited by it. So anyway, Gary's on doing it, working through his PhD, trying to tweak it, trying to make it better. It was always very small, but like he felt like sometimes it seemed to work better and sometimes it worked bad. Anyway, gets to about two, two and a half years into his PhD, over three year PhD. He's presenting his work of these kind of these comp, these uh, copper compounds he's making. Someone puts a hand up. Is there any questions? Right. Did you always did you dread this at a conference? Someone puts a hand up and goes, "Have you checked like what? Where's your where's your copper come from?" And he's like, "Oh, we use elemental copper. We buy it from Sigma." And he's like, "Okay, and he's like, have you done? Have you checked the trace compounds of other elements in your copper?" And yeah. He's like, no, I haven't done that. No. Right. So when you make like a big chunk of steel. There's a bit of other compounds. Yeah, like a really small percentage or something. Yeah, because it's very difficult to purify metals to that extent, right? One of the few examples is silicon, right? So when we make silicon chips, they are super, super pure. 99.99999% pure silicon. It's very unusual to have it, something that pure. Anyway, he goes home and he uses this technique called ICP mass spec, right? Which tells you very accurately concentrations of metal ions. I think it's called inductive coupled plasma. Exactly. Do you know what was in this copper? Palladium. Palladium. <laughs> oh no! So like, literally, it's two years worth of work. Down the complete waste down of time. the toilet. So what he thought he was seeing was, was copper. The, was copper. But, but all was he was palladium. seeing is just like a little bit of palladium <laughs> in there. So he was doing it anyway. 
Imagine that. That's crazy. He wasn't a happy man that day. Do you want to hear another interesting catalyst? Go on then. So um, it's a similar kind of thing, and it's like an ac- an accident um, someone stumbled across. So this was in making dyes. So the dye industry is a big industry, right? And dyes That's back where in all of the pharmaceutical industry came from. Yeah, making dyes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Movine Blue was the first. Yeah. Um, so back in the day, all dyes came from plants. Yeah. And it was really, really expensive. And a good example of um, one dye that was used was indigo, yeah. which was a dye which was grown in India. Yeah. So it was a big kind of, because it was such a big market, obviously the potential payoff, if you're able to synthesize it chemically, was big. So this is because everyone wants, everyone wants a bright red T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. All of the, all of the weird, and all, now we all take the millennials it, We want, take it for granted. Yeah, but a, in those days, you green everything was yeah. brown and green. It was yeah. like Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so um, there was they were, they, were, they were trying to to do this, and one of yeah. the the chemical reactions was trying to um, make an intermediate, and the intermediate in that reaction was called um, phthalic anhydride. Right, right. It's difficult difficult to synthesize apparently back right. in the day. So they were trying to do it, and some bloke apparently he was trying to do this by heating um, some bloke. <laughs> yeah, some bloke, he was called Sapper. Sapper, okay. Blake called Sapper. He was yeah. just a worker. Work. BASF? You yeah. heard of BASF? They make gases. Big now, German they? chemical yeah. company with a checkered past because they were involved yeah. in forced Jewish labor in the, yeah. in the era of Hitler. And anyway, he was making, heating um, nap, um, naphthalene yeah. Yeah? With, um, with fuming sulfuric acid. Okay, good. He was stirring it. He couldn't get the reaction to work. He was stirring it with a thermometer. Right, stirring it around. Did he break the thermometer? The thermometer Nick? broke. Mercury, mercury went anything. Mercury was the catalyst. Amazing. And the mercury found out completely by accident yeah. that the mercury helped this reaction happen more quickly. Amazing. So it's a classic example of. Do you know what? I, I was reading a paper the other day. It was a synthesis paper, and at the bottom of it, they said um, uh, reaction was left with broken glass to nucleate the reaction. I was like, you broke some glass, <laughs> and it worked. That's why that happened there. Like, another. You know, there's another example as well. Just going back to the copper thing. Yeah. Um, there was a. Um, and I, I can't, I haven't got this in front of me, so I can't um, give you the precise details. Yeah. But it was in the synthesis of urea. Yeah. They're trying to synthesize urea. That was that was the first organic, the first compound, organic compound to be yeah. synthesized. Um, they couldn't do it, and they stumbled away to do it, and they couldn't replicate it. Yeah. And they went back through everything, couldn't find out how to do it. You know, it turned out that they'd been making this one reaction in a copper container. Right. And the copper, which was in the container, which they'd not even considered, was the catalyst for this step. So even though they hadn't even considered it, they worked out in retrospect. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. It, it, uh, so it was. Um, it was a sad day for my for my colleague that day. We went to the pub early that day during my PhD when he'd realised that two di- two years of research was just so a was big he, waste of time. He was a PhD, PhD student. Yeah. He got a PhD in the end, but it but it wasn't in copper catalysis. Oh <laughs> my goodness! But um, yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that we've spoken about before is that like this research is just really hard, and like you can and we, why we have peer review and why we have this process of trying to publish our results. I mean, it's challenged. so devastating, and I think that it's kind of like it's almost years. like a taboo to talk about things like that happening because they're so that kind of thing is so disturbing and catastrophic. Yeah, because you would literally hate yourself. You know, for that. But you would it's an easy mistake to make, though. You mean if you'd have published it? I know. I think that'd be fine. I mean, you you do do it in good faith. Yeah. You just get, you know, exposed in a different way. You make a mistake. It happens to the best of people. I mean, a really good example is an old lecturer of mine. He published on um, 
they were trying to prove that, or they were trying to find out whether microwave radiation from mobile phones yeah. affected biology, and they were exposing worms, a type of worm called Cyanorhabditis elegans. Doesn't matter; it's a tiny, tiny worm, and it's an experimental organism because we understand it really, yeah. really well. They were just doing experiments to see how radiation from mobile phones affected the worms. Yeah. And they found this biological effect in the absence of any thermal effect. And it was published in Nature. This was about 15 years ago. Yeah. It's a big breakthrough because if you're able to show that you're getting biological effects from mobile phone radiation, yeah. you know, that's a big thing. That's worrying because that everyone's putting it yeah. right by the brain. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, it turned out later that the, there was a temperature change that was inducing the expression of this protein called heat shock protein. Yeah, yeah. But they just hadn't been able to detect it. Because the temperature was so small? Because the or? temperature was so small. So later on, in, in, a, in another year, another group did it again. Because yeah. it's an important result. And they'd found this very small temperature change. They corresponded with the lab. This is uh, my old lecturer's lab in, yeah. in Nottingham. And they did again. They found the temperature change. And they retracted the paper. Good for them. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, mean, uh, I mean, it was in, in perfectly good It's all done faith. in great faith. They're doing yeah. it for the best of their abilities. Yeah. And, you know, they, they come to the correct conclusions. But Given unfortunately, the, data. the stuff yeah. that they've got is just not good enough. And, yeah. you know, the guy, it's not easy to make You get your copper. Yeah. You expect it to be so pure that, you know, if you've got 0.001% yeah, palladium, palladium, you wouldn't expect it to have that. But he had that, he had that moment, right, where he just literally like looked up and we worked out the rates of which his reactions would have been with that, if, with, with that amount of co with that amount of palladium in it, yeah, we like literally looked over, like plotted both of the graphs, Perfect. and they were like exactly the same. Oh and you're just like, oh shit, oh, <laughs> shit, two <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, but you know that's <clears throat> the way the cookie crumbles. Bunsen, Burner, Dolly, Machine, Internal, Combustion, Why Do We Need, Petri, Dishes, Austin, Isaac, Newton, Transplanting, Steve. So, i got a bone to pick. Not with you, with all those shedlings out there. Yeah. The, the shedders. Yeah. The whatever we call all of that. Shedlings. Shedlings. Like shedlings. We like shedlings, right? So we've been moaning for like asking them to give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. For about 10 Maybe more, ten episodes now. Right, and we've got some. Yeah, but we, but I, I know how many people are listening. I've got access to that information, and I also know how many reviews we've but got. But maybe they're only listening to the first two minutes. I've had enough of it. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I've had enough of it. I've had. It's not that they, they, we get up. You know, we meet up. We get. I, I travel to Salisbury in the Stop rain. Banging the table, mate. <laughs> making a point. I go travel to Salisbury in the rain. I, you know. Like we set up all of our equipment, we think about interesting things to talk about, we we edit it, we publish it, and all I have to do is just go online and click. <laughs> click what? Um, just click uh click it gives us a star rating and write us a review on iTunes. That's yeah. all I'm asking. Yeah. So I think Yeah. I want um I, I want I wanna see it. I wanna see it now. I think we I've should do, enough. we should do carrot. Carrot. Well we've offered stickers. Maybe we should go. Well, I'll more. go and stick. You were going stick now. Yeah. You're sick of the carrot. I've had enough of the carrot. It didn't you work. Could, there's no stick. It's just like science. I can't be nice with people. There's, there's no stick to beat them with, though, Steve. Mm. How are you going to beat them with a stick? You're going to electrocute them. 
<laughs> well, what's you your carrot idea? I think you should chill out. Maybe people don't want to write reviews. Maybe Fair they enough. just prefer to sit back and enjoy it. Okay. Well, we hope fine. they enjoyed the science. So we will enjoy it. We, we would like it if you wrote a review. Sincerely, we would. Yeah. And we would forever love you. Or, yeah. Yeah, because I think... Well, that or even send us a tweet. Send us a tweet. Love that. Mm. At the Science Shed yeah. uh, on Twitter. And you can also tweet us individually. I'm Steve the Chemist. And I'm at the Evans Lab. Um, and um, then maybe they'll tune in next time when I'll be a bit more chilled out. <laughs> you wish you, you've got to try and change your your mean. It's not good, it's not good for and my be like uh, nice. blood pressure, is it? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell them how much you love them, Steve. I love you really. I'm only joking. <laughs> Okay, well, hopefully we'll see you next time. If Steve hasn't alienated you sufficiently, we'll see you next time. Bye!